0: What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 377, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, November 2nd, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. On Wednesday nights, we cover MMA and wrestling with an, with an 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time start time. And on Thursdays, we switch gears, talk gaming, entertainment, sometimes a little tech. Same start time, 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8.30 p.m. Pacific for those of you on the West Coast. If you want to participate in, tonight, in tonight's show, you can head over to mtrlive.com where... We will have a full video feed of the show available simulcast on Vaughn Live, StreamUp, Daily Motion, uh, Twitch, and YouTube Live. Audio will be simulcast through the Mixler app, which you can listen to on your mobile device. M-I-X-L-R is the name of the app. That's how you spell it. And you will look for it either on iOS or Android devices and just punch in My Take Radio and you can listen to live broadcasts. Of MTR. You can also listen to live episodes of Black is the New Black as well. Archived episodes of this show, if you're unable to tune in, are available within 24 to 48 hours on podcast format for audio on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, video on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official rageworks. All right, so a lot of stuff to address before we jump into tonight's show. Uh, First and foremost, the broadcast schedule. For those of you that missed our shows last week, we will not be doing live shows next week due to a couple of different events that we're going to be covering. Uh, We got an event on Wednesday. We have two things on Thursday. Actually, we have an NAB event at the Javits Center here in New York City, checking out some of the new, latest toys in the world of broadcasting, both audio and video. And we're going to wander. Over to see the CES New York preview as well for the upcoming CES 2017 event. In addition to that, Friday we will be at the UFC 205 weigh ins as well. So keep an eye out on our social media accounts for coverage of all of those events. Uh, You know, obviously Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, the usual suspects. I will recap those at the end of tonight's broadcast in the event that you miss them in addition to that uh we also will be doing obviously a full slate of shows the following week but then there will not be shows the week of thanksgiving obviously to allow myself and the rest of the crew to enjoy the holiday and obviously black friday afterwards so there will not be any shows that week as for december we're probably going to do shows the first two weeks and then we will take a break into 2017. Now, if you missed last week's show, you know that I said that in 2017 we are going to be moving away from live weekly broadcasts. I know a lot of you guys reached out via social media, email, et cetera, with more asking for more information, asking me to elaborate. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of an explanation, not too much. Uh, first and foremost, obviously, uh, the live show is a big part of what MTR is, especially since 2009. For those of you that don't know, uh, 2016 marked 10 years that I've been doing My Take Radio, uh, from its humble beginnings as a strictly recorded podcast to its live you know, debut in 2009 to video shortly after, and we've been marching on ever since. Now, the thing about it is that even though... I love doing the live shows. There is an incredible amount of work that goes on to deliver those live shows, aka obvious equipment costs, uh, management, and of course editing and post production stuff. You know, it's not just we stream and then I throw it up on YouTube. There's you know stuff that has to be cut out, color correcting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, on the audio side, it's a little easier, obviously, because we're not dealing with the constraints of video. And we can turn it around fairly quickly. But the video process is a bit more involved. For those of you that are in the video space, you guys know that editing can take anywhere from an hour or two to sometimes three hours. I've gotten editing down to an extra hour. But you got to understand, you finish a 90-minute show at 1.30 in the morning, uh, maybe 2 o'clock, and you're spending another hour, hour and a half editing than rendering the video, which takes its own time, but before it's all said and done, you're going to bed four or five o'clock in the morning, and then waking up for work uh, four or five hours later. And again, I'm used to that. It's part of the job. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that for you guys to you know feel sorry or boohoo about it. It's just I'm giving you guys a glimpse of that, and you know, the live component. Given that we air so late, it's good and bad. Obviously, it, it's conducive to my schedule given work and everything else going on but i also miss a lot of you guys either because you guys are going to bed for your jobs or it's just a a matter of scheduling and some of you guys don't consume content that late because of that i started weighing it out like anything else and looking at where we were benefiting the most and again the live show is great the live component is awesome we've had great guests and don't misunderstand we will do live specials and shows on occasion, but it's not going to be a continuous week to week thing. Obviously, if we have a cool guest or something like that that we want to try and, and do the live component, we will definitely go ahead and do that. But for the time being, in 2017, we're going to be moving towards, uh, you know, pot, back to podcast format, just releasing the podcast every week. Um, some of you have asked about recording videos. Uh, you know, video versions of the show. I think it would just be weird sitting here talking to a camera for 90 minutes without any real interaction. So while the shows will continue to go on the YouTube channel, they will go in audio format with a stationary image. So unless obviously things change, schedules change, or, you know, something crazy happens, that is my intention going into 2017. Now, with that said, even though we're moving away from the live shows, there's such a a, a big amount of content that we're working on from, you know, slick doing the various streams that he's working on. We're also going to be obviously putting out ancillary video content, plus all the product reviews. It's, it's going to allow us to branch off into those other areas and really allow us to focus. I think one of the things that's been happening, and it's one of the reasons I've been delegating different things to some of our team members is just because you spread yourself too thin and things begin to suffer, and I've have noticed that over the last couple of months, that you know certain elements and certain things that I was on top of just aren't moving as well as I'd like. And because of that, I think it's you know partly that and a couple of other things that I'm going to trim away and allow us to run RageWorks, the RageWorks network, and all the associated brands as a lean, mean machine. Now, of course, things will change, and you know we have an incredible crop of amazing talent from all of our different hosts, from all of our writers who are putting out content consistently. Uh, big shout out to Quark, who has been uh, really stepping his game up. And I'm not even saying that because I know he's listening. I'm saying that just because I've seen a, I've seen a transition, a turning of the corner in terms of just creating content. Uh, definitely happy to see that as someone who, you know, manages a brand it's it's good to see certain people just really come full circle uh you know slick as well slick has gone from being my my right hand behind the scenes in terms of editing and production to you know running his own channel creating his own content cultivating his own audience and obviously bringing those contributions to the rage brand uh you know really big uh jay santi again tremendous talent really really uh, you know, not even bigging him up in in a way that's crazy, but just saying that you know the guy's a diamond in the rough, super versatile, incredibly talented. Uh, also connected me with Josie's boy, who does call me when it's over. Who again, uh, that guy's talent is on a completely different level uh, from you know from an artistic standpoint. I, I mean, you know that guy has all the tools and definitely has all the tools for success. Uh, my colleague Jimbo Slice, who is doing the variant issue with me um, really positive responses, seeing just some amazing numbers. And, you know, I think that, you know, doing that, that show for me has kind of given me a a bit of a, of a shot in the arm. And I say this just because, you know, you do 300 episodes, 400 episodes, you kind of start weighing things out. Things start kind of not, you know, quote unquote, being as fun. And, you know, it's, it, it, when it stops being fun, it's kind of start. It's kind of time to start looking at it either differently or you know moving away from it because obviously it's going to suffer. And I don't want to give you guys subpar content. Now, what that means is essentially uh, the MMA and wrestling edition will probably be, be released either late Tuesday or Wednesday in podcast format, and the gaming and entertainment edition may be released either late Wednesday. Uh, or some point Thursday. Now, of course, uh, Slick will continue to you know bring his uh, his work and his opinions to the gaming and entertainment edition, and of course, we'll still have guests for the MMA and wrestling edition as needed. But the intent is to continue a weekly uh, podcast release schedule to go along with all of our other shows. So, for those of you that have asked and you know reached out and asked for a little bit more information, I hope this. Breaks things down. And as always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Uh, There is no firm date yet for January as to when the live shows will stop, but I'll definitely start 2017 with at least one or two live shows before we start winding things down. So there is that as well. All right. So with that out of the way, tonight's topics. Obviously, we got some crazy stuff going on in MMA. Uh, Ronda Rousey. On the verge of retirement, we're going to get into that, and um, it's not a joke. (laughs) A couple of other memorable MMA news of the week. Of course, on the wrestling side, we will talk about Hell in the Cell, the fallout from that event, uh, WWE's Road Now to Survivor Series for the dual brand pay-per-view, and of course for TLC on the SmackDown side, and all the other wrestling news of the week. As always, feel free to participate, mtrlive.com via our chat or feel free to call in three four seven three two four three five four one three four seven three two four three five four one hit option one if you're interested in participating and slick will bring you into the live show all right let's jump into it and get into some mma shall we right so i want to get into an interesting story that picked up a lot of steam over the last couple of weeks and it involves fabricio verdum who was incredibly outspoken i believe last it was last week and a little bit uh the week prior about the ufc's relationship with reebok so outspoken in fact that he was pulled from a u.s uh ufc television broadcast i believe for the spanish market now there's you know there's an interesting situation brewing because of this because as many of you know when the UFC aligned themselves with Reebok a payout structure was created for fighters based on their fight record and of course this required fighters to wear Reebok gear in all UFC sanctioned events whether it's weigh-ins televised interviews the ultimate fighter etc and it went as far as any UFC press as well now because of this um fighters that have been fighting for a decent amount of time that were veterans in the sport and were making good money took a substantial pay cut. Guys like Matt Mitrione, Brendan Schaub, uh uh you know a, a litany of other fighters have said that the Reebok pay structure is just not as good as what the fighters were making as vet, you know, as being fighters and being veterans in the sponsorship game. Now this breaks down into a couple of situations, and before I get into what's going on with Verdum, I'll explain a little further. Think about it this way. If you're an up-and-coming fighter who gets signed by the UFC and is not making you know, any major money or collecting any sponsorships, you're going to get you know, the, the Reebok-mandated payouts, which means you're going to get some money in your pocket. Now, if you're a veteran fighter who's been fighting for a couple of years, has some good standby sponsors, and you know we're not talking condom depot and shit like that, but we're talking real sponsors. Then those sponsors are paying you, you know, fifty fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, a hundred and fifty thousand, depending on obviously placement, you know, usage, et cetera, and of course doing promotion for that particular company that is sponsoring you. Now there are some fighters that have spe- specific sponsorships that I'm sure were incredibly lucrative. I mean, Demetrius Johnson was sponsored by Microsoft Xbox and you know, that was huge obviously Demetrius Johnson being a very a, a very big gamer also now with an incredibly strong streaming presence was actually getting sponsorship money from Microsoft and their Xbox brand and that was all he wore. He'd wore a simple Xbox t-shirt, maybe there'd be an Xbox logo or something to that extent on his shorts. But that was it. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't garish. And I'm sure he was making a substantial amount of money. In the case of a guy like George St. Pierre, who was being sponsored by Affliction at one point, you know, GSP had the one Affliction logo on his shorts and that was it. He didn't have 17 different logos because I'm sure they were paying him a shit ton of money. And the list goes on and on. You, You know, you got fighters that are you know, making money from bodybuilding.com, supplement warehouses, different companies, and of course, there are those those companies that people didn't want to see on their TV. Like I, I used to joke about dude wipes and, um, you know, condom depot, things like that. But mortgage brokers, dealerships, etc., that were in the area that wanted to sponsor a fighter, they would buy real estate on the trunks, which again was. Funding a lot of the stuff for these fighters, training camps, travel, um, you know, really, really high volume costs that a lot of people don't take into consideration when we talk about fighter pay, because you got to think about, it, you got to pay your corner men, you got to pay your coaches, you got to pay your dietitian, you have to pay your massage therapist, you got to pay your wrestling coach that may come in from, you know, that was recommended by a striking coach. You may want to pay, the guy, you know, your sparring partners that are being brought in to work with you on a more, you know, in a more intimate setting, etc., etc., etc. And then when it's all said and done, that you know, fifty, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar payday that you may get from your fight gets taxed, and then you have to pay all those people, and that's where sponsorship comes in to offset a lot of those costs. Now, in the case of Fabricio Verdum. It was crazy because he did an interview with MMA Junkie and he, he gave up some interesting uh, statistics. He said the first big thing that came out of that interview is the fact that he is negotiating with Nike, which is a pretty big deal. I mean, Nike sponsored John Jones at one point and John Jones was making a lucrative, lucrative amount of money. Uh, Anderson Silva was also sponsored by Nike, Junior Dos Santos. Nike was definitely putting their toes into the MMA pool and they were definitely leveraging some of the big names in the sport. GSP of course is sponsored by Under Armour and has been for quite some time. And this is what I'm saying, like in GSP's case and he said that was a big problem with him coming back to fight is that Reebok deal. But in any case, going back to Fabricio Verdum, he said that he has uh, been, they've been negotiating with Nike We might close the deal, we might not, but I went ahead because I'm not happy with Reebok. He said, and I quote, I'm not happy because making $5,000 per fight sucks. For a person who made $100,000, $150,000 per fight going to $5,000, it's not easy. It was more a protest, but I'm already negotiating with Nike. Now they asked him about, you know, getting sponsorship opportunities outside of the octagon with other companies besides Reebok. And he said, I also wanted to say that it's important, important that other sponsors know that sometimes, um, big sponsors don't come to you because they think you have exclusivity to Reebok. I want to say that I have no exclusivity to Reebok. It's only during the fight and that's it because that's how it goes and we can't do anything about it. But outside the octagon, that's where things show up the most. Social media, that's where they show the brand at training. It's nice to clarify that outside the UFC, I can have the sponsors I want. And like I said, this is a very, very, a a very gray area because a lot of companies are very apprehensive about doing stuff with the UFC because they see it as uh, effectively as a way for them to leverage, you know, for for them to leverage individual fighters. Now, Quark says, sounds like no one but the UFC itself won from the Reebok deal. Well, it's interesting that you say it like that, Quark, um, because who ends up winning is obviously the UFC because they have a unified structure, but also fighters that are on the come up that maybe would not have made any money or at least the amount of money that Reebok is paying for, you know, their their fighting you know their careers and the thing is there's also a separate tier of fighters that are also sponsored separately by Reebok in other words Reebok uh, you know pays out all the fighters in the organization but then there's fighters that are Reebok athletes the same way that Michael Jordan is a Nike athlete uh, guys like Conor McGregor Ronda Rousey uh, Paige Van Zant, you know individuals like that they get specifically they get specific Reebok deals that are separate from what they're being paid. And this is what I'm saying. You know, the, the the issue is that when you're a guy like Fabricio Verdum, who's fought in Pride, who's fought in, you know, Force, he's got an impressive career under his belt and he's being paid $5,000 when, you know, a company like, I don't know, Venom Fightwear will pay him $65,000 to put the Venom logo on their shorts it really is a no-brainer. And that was the problem with the Reebok deal from, from from the jump. And I've noticed that as soon as fighters start being outspoken about the Reebok deal, the organization either stifles them or finds ways to, um, you know, just just punish them without making it seem like it's coming from the sponsor. And it's unfortunate because, like I said, the, the fighters are really just trying to make enough money to obviously offset the costs that go into being a fighter. It is very, very, very expensive. I mean, you know, I've talked about my, you know, that my increasing familiarity with boxing and, you know, Jimbo Slice has brought to my attention certain things with regards to payouts and money uh, on the boxing side of things. And you got to remember that even some of the lower tier boxers in the game are making double or even triple what a fighter in the UFC makes. And that's, you know, it's, we haven't reached the stage where those fighters are going to make that kind of money yet. Obviously it may happen, but the thing is that unless you're, you know, Ronda, Conor McGregor, Brock Lesnar, guys that are quote unquote, moving the needle, then, you know, Reebok is a non-factor. But if you're a guy that has, that's five, that's five and O oh, just came into the sport is a rookie sensation you're you're only going to make a couple of thousand from Reebok and then like, like I said then you have to go out and get your own sponsors and if those guys are scared because they think you're only sponsored by Reebok that's money that you are losing in the long run it it really is unfortunate and I genuinely feel bad for the fighters because they're they're being played and that's you know it's fucked up that's one thing I'm not a fan of Quark says, how the fuck are boxers making more money when no one watches that shit anymore? Uh, You know what the thing is? Quark, boxing, the sweet science, has very lucrative deals. And it may appear like no one's watching it because it's not on the level it was a few years back in terms of promotion. But boxing still has incredible, incredible numbers. But much like I was saying with MMA, the the top-tier boxers, the guys that people recognize... You know, um, a, a good example, uh, Triple G, or um, some of these other uh, Canelo. These are guys that are that are get there. These guys are closing out arenas. So, you know, if anything, maybe maybe heavyweight boxing. But I disagree. I feel that boxing is still uh, a very, it's still a very lucrative sport, and it still has some incredible, incredible, incredible numbers. I mean if you look at HBO pay-per-view boxing events, if you look at regular HBO broadcast boxing events, Showtime boxing, trust me, the numbers are still there and people are still following that sport. I mean, I've looked at metrics as a matter of fact, Jimbo Slice and I were talking about this a while back. It was a um it was a Manny Pacquiao fight where, you know, he I forgot who he fought. It, I it, I think it was because Manny Pacquiao's fight was against the guy he'd fought before and again i'm a little foggy so by all means if you if you can shed some light on that jimbo slice i'd appreciate it um you know the the thing is that boxing you got to remember there's pay-per-view money there's all these there's all these different sponsors there's all this shit boxing is incredibly lucrative It appears, like I said, on the the outside, like nobody's watching it. But I can honestly say boxing is still a force. The only problem is that MMA is just being put more in the public eye because, you know, it's the hot thing. It's the fresh thing. It's the, quote, alternative sport. But boxing is boxing, and it's the sweet science for a reason, and that's because it still commands respect, and it still makes a fuckload of money. But like anything else, if you're not a a well-recognized athlete, then, yeah, you're not going to be out there as much. But, you know, we've talked about guys like Floyd Mayweather who are just making millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. Um, You know, Bernard Hopkins, his story. You know, do yourselves a favor if you haven't. uh, Look up Bernard Hopkins, read his Wikipedia, and see what Bernard Hopkins did to become successful. His story is amazing, you know? Uh, Same thing if you look at, like I said, Triple G, a guy that... Jimbo Slice put on my radar people are there man those arenas are fucking packed to the gills same thing with Canelo uh you know like I said my boxing knowledge it would be a disservice um for for people to say for me to say oh you know it's this and this and this because my boxing knowledge is on a more casual basis but when you know Jimbo Slice just mentioned when Pacquiao fought Timothy Bradley the second time the numbers for that fight were fucking staggering, staggering for a boxing fight, staggering. Like if, like if I was able, to... Uh, Slick, can you do me a favor and pull up uh, pay-per-view numbers and revenue from Manny Pacquiao versus Timothy Bradley, the second fight? Uh, I just want to, I would just want to have it in there so people can see it as a point of reference. Again, it's it always appears like. MMA is this big juggernaut, but MMA is just a small fish in a big pond. The only reason that it's so well recognized is because it's the cool thing. That's it. Simple. You know, when, 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 when an MMA event sells out Cowboy Stadium, which is very true, then, then we'll talk. And, and, and that hasn't happened yet. You know, (laughs) that's, that's something that boxing can say they've done. And that's what I mean. Like, Outside of boxing and Vince McMahon, those are the only guys that are selling out arenas of that magnitude. Not to say that the UFC or MMA in general does not have that potential. Please don't under don't misunderstand. This isn't a boxing versus MMA debate. On the contrary, I find value in both sports. Um, I feel each sport ties into the other. I mean, guys that come into MMA, one of the first things you got to learn is stand-up. And, you know, boxing is... is is the fucking creme de la creme of stand up? Yeah, you have kickboxing, you have all this stuff, but you know, box. You know, a good boxer will go in there and he's got a puncher's chance any day of the week. I think, um, you know, those numbers and also Jimbo Slice mentioned when Pacquiao fought uh, Juan Manuel Marquez the third time. If you could find those slick and throw them in the chat, uh, these are these are the numbers I want you guys to see. But in any case, I just wanted to share this. Because, for me as a as an MMA fan and somebody who recognizes what these fighters are going through, I I understand the frustration of guys like Fabricio Verdum who are fucking legit legit badass guys getting you know pennies making pennies you know, and that's that's the big problem. You know, it's unfortunate for me. It, it really is that that guys that are coming into the sport can't make the money that they're making because. Reebok the UFC decided to get into bed with one sponsor it's 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 insane and on top of that they just put all these rules in place that these guys can't even make money where they should if if UFC cameras are rolling in a gym then everybody's got to be wearing Reebok you can't have any companies in there it's in it's insane it's it really is all right let me jump back into some of the other stuff uh, because again we'll go into we'll go into the boxing MMA debate and that can become its own show. Now the next bit of news was a little a little disheartening, but it's gonna I think it's gonna be one of those things we're gonna be seeing on a consistent basis because a lot of these guys are aging out, and this particular fighter is a guy who's t- who's delivered a lot of damage in the cage, but has also sustained some some massive damage too. Um, that is Johnny Hendricks. Johnny Hendricks is scheduled to face Neil Magny at UFC 207. And during an interview he did with MMA junkie, he has actually said that he is pretty much contemplating retirement after this fight. He said, as soon as my wife says, honey, I want you to, I want you home more. That's when I'm done. Even if I win this fight, I could retire. We have four kids now and she needs help. And I get that. And I want to be a father of my kid's life. I know from my from my career, this isn't my last fight unless my wife says so. I have a feeling I'm going to go out there and show I'm going back to the old to the old one. I want to show I do still want to compete in the sport and that I can. And that's the thing, you know. A guy like Johnny Hendricks, think about this. Johnny Hendricks was champion. He was a champion. He was a guy that was recognized in the sport as a badass. And now is on the stage of retirement. I feel like Johnny Hendricks hasn't even been fighting that long for him to be contemplating retirement. But you know, the guy made his money. He has a family. He's recognizing that this may be the end of the road for him. Now, the thing about Johnny Hendricks and you know guys like him, Cowboy Cerrone, a lot of these guys is the fact that they are just freakish athletes. And for Johnny Hendricks, like he even said in that in that paragraph I just shared with you guys you know, it's not, it's not the end of his career, but it may be his last fight for the moment. And I can understand that. I mean, you know, the guy has four kids. He's, he's probably in training camp, you know, six months, eight months getting ready for fights, got four kids running around the house as a fan. Obviously I don't want to, I don't want to see people that I'm a fan of retire, but I am also, I'm also aware of you know the toll that the sport is to, takes on some of these guys and guys like Johnny Hendricks who obviously got to cut massive amounts of weight, uh, you know they use the the wrestling cut and they just take immense amounts of punishment in the cage. I can I can understand the appeal for wanting to retire. I really can. That's for damn sure. I want to take a moment now that it is a f- officially midnight. Uh, Big birthday shout out to our very own Jimbo Slice from the Varian issue. Uh, shout him out on Instagram at Jimbo Slice. Let him know that uh, Rich said it was his birthday and go break his balls there. Uh, Anyway, as I was saying, and this is, you know, as somebody who's been following Johnny Hendricks and the way that he 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 really did beat George St. Pierre, people don't want to admit that, obviously, but he put an ass whooping on G.S.P., and they gift wrapped that belt for GSP to keep it. Obviously, the guy ended up becoming champion anyway. But Johnny Hendricks was the real deal. Uh, a guy that presented himself well, came from a good family, had great values. And again, another guy that I've said before, the UFC did nothing with him. Zero donut. Like the only reason people know he's champion is if you show a highlight reel package of champions in that weight class at 170. I'm serious. I like Johnny Hendricks, big fan, but him, Chris Weidman, a lot of these guys, you know, guys that are, that are workhorses, that are, that are just genuinely nice dudes. You wouldn't know that they had the belt. Some guys wouldn't even give a shit. And I'm being honest. Anyway, December 3rd, we got the ultimate fighter 24 finale. Uh, Demetrius Johnson will be defending his flyweight title uh, Joseph Benavidez will be taking on, uh, Henry Cejudo, Jake Ellenberger, Jorge Masvidal on that card. Uh, for the one thing I got to say about the ultimate fighter and this being the ultimate fighter finale is that now that the UFC has new ownership, there is a strong possibility that it may be the end of the ultimate fighter. And as much as I hate to say it, thank God, not because the ultimate fighters become terrible, but just because MMA is such a, you know, it, it's such a thing now that you don't need a reality show to find the next MMA star. You know, it, it's, it, you go to, to some of these smaller shows and you'll see these guys. I mean, you know, Mickey Gall, who they found a fight with CM Punk, they found him by going to a smaller promotion through Dana White's looking for a fight. And that's where they found him. And that's how it goes. I mean, I like the Ultimate Fighter. It put MMA on the map. It, put, it made the UFC a household name. But once we got past, you know, the fifth season, things just started getting sketchy. I mean, we will never, ever, 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 ever recapture what Griffin and Bonner did. We're never going to capture Shamrock and Tito. We're not going to capture that fucking Chris Lieben being a maniac. None of that. We're never going to get any of that. So better to go out and just put the show to pasture than continuously force people to tune in when people have figured it out. You know, David says, I enjoy tough. I enjoyed it too, man, but it started becoming a chore. And on top of that, a lot of guys were just finding ways to get into the house, coasting through the first two or three fights. And then by the time we got to the final, you didn't give a shit because you didn't really see anything. I just felt that we we didn't get good coaches or the coaches that they got weren't that good. And then the caliber of fighter... Since MMA is such an active thing, we just didn't have that same hunger. It wasn't like I said when the UFC and the Ultimate Fighter were initially on air, where you had guys that were fighting in fucking street fights, like Forrest Griffin, you know, fighting on the side in fight clubs and maybe doing small MMA shows. Now, every, you know, you go to any town and there's at least one or two or three or four MMA gyms. I mean, go to Cali. If you go to California, You'll see a a fucking multitude of different MMA gyms from different places. You go into the Midwest, you see a bunch of them. You go down to Florida, you see a bunch of them. Here in New York City, um, it's it's insane, especially because between the UFC gyms that are set up and independent, you know, teachers that are out there teaching. I mean, you know, you got Sarah Jiu Jitsu, you got Ray Longo, you got UFC, various UFC gyms. You have other schools that are out there teaching. MMA is everywhere now. Obviously, it's not Tiger Shulman's karate birthday parties, but MMA is pretty much anywhere in the country. Obviously, there's going to be some schools that are better than others, but now everybody can get in there and get into mixed martial arts. And David adds, the last couple of seasons with the girls were pretty good, not so much with the dudes. And you want to know why that is? Because women's MMA is still scrappy, you know, there's still not a lot of women fighting in mixed martial arts. So, it, it, you know, the women's, the wimp the, the female seasons are a throwback to how the ultimate fighter used to be, you know, mixed martial arts, especially for women is still being, you know, it's still gaining acceptance. A lot of people still aren't even comfortable watching women fight and if you've seen some of the more recent fights in the UFC, you'll see sometimes that you know the women just get into these wars and they're just bleeding all over the place, cut open, and some people just don't feel comfortable seeing that. But think about it. Think about how that has changed and the caliber of fighters that you're getting. And that's the thing that gets me. If you look at the 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 strawweight division for, for the women and even Ronda's division, you're starting to see more and more women coming into the sport, and they're, you know, they're creating uh, their own their own highlight reel packages because they don't even need to fight in the Ultimate Fighter to get noticed. Some do, some don't. I mean, look at Holly Holm. She transitioned from women's boxing to MMA and boom, she was ready to go. It didn't take long. And that was it. I think that that's something now with more women becoming involved in mixed martial arts, more women becoming involved in, you know, Greco-Roman wrestling some of these other facets of the sport, there's still that hunger there, which we just don't have in the other seasons, which is, to David's point, exactly exactly the case. You know, the female mixed martial artists come in, they're, they're hungry, they're ready to go out there and bleed and prove themselves and kick ass and, and, and become, you know, the next ultimate fighter. The guys are coming in there, they give semi-spirited performances to get into the house, and then they just fucking coast. And that's when the season takes a giant shit, period. In any case, the Ultimate Fighter 24 finale is going down December 3rd, ladies and gents. So if you give a shit, um, you know, you'll be able to check that out. That's for sure. (laughs) I am not going to read what Jimbo Slice just wrote. I am not doing it. Not doing it because it's just it's just awful. Anyway, last week uh, we were talking about Michael Bisping and his desire to fight GSP. Uh, Bisping doing a great job of trying to sell people on that fight, getting some buzz, gaining some interest, uh, turns out not happening. This does not mean we won't see GSP in the cage, but he will not be fighting Michael Bisping. Now, Bisping obviously defeating Dan Henderson, which, you know, that that win was extremely questionable. Yes, he, he definitely has potential challengers but bisping is being smart in trying to get good money fights so in his most recent interview with mma junkie he decided i would like to fight nick diaz (laughs) and as soon as i read that i said no you don't you don't want to do that and the reason is because yeah michael bisping can trash talk and do what he's got to do the minute that you get into shit with the diaz brothers you better you better dial in the crazy because that's how it's going to get. So, you know, they asked him about, you know, wanting to face Nick Diaz. And he said, if it's not GSP, I don't mind being on the card against somebody else. And Nick Diaz would be somebody else that moves the needle. Now, again, I know I'm going to open myself to criticism saying that. But there's been talk of us having a fight before. His last fight was against Anderson Silva, and he fought at 185. If Nick Diaz wants to do it, I'll fight Nick Diaz. So, you know, it's it's, it's pretty fucking real. You know Bisping is. You can't be mad at the dude because he's trying to get paid. And at 185, yeah, there's a couple of guys that he could fight. You know, obviously he could fight Weidman, he could fight Rockhold. There's there's a lot of guys he could fight, but he's looking at the payday, at moving the needle, and it's fucked up to look at it that way. But again, we're talking about the sport where people want to get paid, and Michael Bisping wants to get paid, so. Val says Pillow Fist versus Nick Diaz get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh Val then adds, "Hey, at least he's calling out the heavy hitters." And that's what I'm saying. Like like Bisping, he's a scrappy motherfucker, man. Going back to the old Ultimate Fighter days to now, love him or hate him, the guy the guy's a, a scrappy son of a bitch and I'm I'm all for it, man. I'd like to see Bisping mix it up with Nick Diaz. I think that the the shit talking will be good. I think the fight would be interesting um, because Bisping could stand, definitely could stand and trade his ground game. I think Nick Diaz would fucking eat him for lunch. But I think stand up, I think it would be a fun fight to see on the stand up side of things for sure. Just to see technique. I mean, you know, you're going to see a little bit of Bisping's Muay Thai prowess uh, against the Stockton slap. I, I wouldn't mind that, man. I, I genuinely would not have a problem seeing that. That's for sure. <laughs> Val adds, I like that he's not playing it safe. Um, Definitely not. So while Bisping is busy f- trying to call out Nick Diaz or GSP, everybody wants to fight Fedor in Bellator. Uh, every you know, There was originally a rumor, which I mentioned last week, about Shane Carwin fighting Fedor in Ryzen for the Ryzen Openweight Grand Prix. Now, there's a rumor going around about Fedor fighting Matt Mitrione in early 2017 in Bellator. And I like Matt Mitrione. He's a he's a talented heavyweight. Um, but Fedor, Fedor will fuck you up. Even on his worst day, Fedor is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous man. And uh, don't get me wrong. I'll tune in and I'll watch it, but... Unless Matt Mitrion comes in there with some serious fucking fists of stone, Fedor Fedor's gonna take it to him. And and again, Fedor's getting older. I'm not saying that Matt Mitrion doesn't have a chance, but here's another here's another opportunity where a fighter's gonna make a name for himself fighting a guy that if they that was if he was in the UFC would probably get a buy rate immediately. Let, I'll give you guys an example. We saw Brock Lesnar. Part-time guy, come out of retirement, fight in the UFC, fight Mark Hunt, whether you love the fight or hated the fight, everybody tuned in, Brock made a fuckload of money. If the UFC signed Fedor even now, no joke, now, and you got to see Fedor fight Cain Velasquez or uh, Fabricio Verdum, which there's some history there, or Andre Arlovsky, people would tune in to see that immediately because Fedor is another guy that moves the needle and this isn't a guy that talks trash or does he doesn't need to do it the guy's resume is enough to get people interested I'm not gonna lie whenever I hear that Fedor is gonna fight I tune in because you don't know what's gonna happen it might be a highlight reel crazy finish some badass submission somebody may get dropped on their head we we don't know, but watching Fedor fight is a fucking experience. <laughs> and, and and you know what the worst part is, Bellator is giving Fedor Matt Mitrione. No disrespect, but you know that the UFC putting grabbing Fedor and putting him in there against Junior dos Santos, um, Cain Velasquez, and. You know, Fabrizio Verdum and Stipe, if you wanted to get crazy, would make people tune in. Fedor versus Alistair Overeem. People would tune in immediately. And if Fedor decided to cut a little weight and fight at 205, holy shit. Imagine the fights that Fedor could have at 205. Fedor and John Jones. Fedor and Anthony Rumble Johnson. Fedor and Daniel Cormier. Because I've always felt that Fedor was a small heavyweight you know and and could probably make 205 but think about that think about that all those fights in the UFC everyone would sell meanwhile Bellator is like ah hey, we'll fight you'll fight matt mitrione i'm like what the fuck planet are we on it's it's insane it is completely and utterly insane just because you know that's the, that's not the fight i would thought i would have thought we're going to see but hey it is what it is anyway This weekend, we got UFC Fight Night 98 in Mexico City. And good fight. Rafael Dos Anjos taking on uh, Tony Ferguson. Marcin Held taking on Diego Sanchez. Ricardo Lamas, Charles Oliveira. The lightweight tournament final from Tough Latin America 3. Martin Bravo, uh, Claudio Puelas. Benil Dariush is going to be taking on Rashid Magomedov and Heather Joe Clark will be taking on Alexa Grasso. Joe Soto stepping in for Guido Canetti, and he will be facing Marco Beltran on the prelims. Again, uh, UFC Fight Night 98 from Mexico City this Saturday. Uh, Prelims start at 8 p.m. Fox Sports 1. Main card 10 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. All right. So as I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, we were talking about Ronda Rousey and her retirement. So Ronda Rousey stopped by Ellen. Uh, two reasons why I think she did that. Obviously, one, to promote her upcoming fight. Two, to show people that she wasn't out of shape, et cetera, et cetera, because that's that's what's been making the rounds. Oh, Ronda got a little big, blah, blah, blah. Usual garbage. Anyway, shows up on Ellen, saying she's feeling super good, and um, Ellen asked her about her future in mixed martial arts. And she said... You know, my future is not that long. I'm wrapping it up. My fight with Amanda Nunes is definitely one of my last fights, so everyone better watch. This show isn't going to be around forever. Now, Ronda Rousey said this before. She's got a couple of fights that she would like to get out of the way. Obviously, a title fight with Amanda Nunes is a no-brainer. A fight with Chris Cyborg is a no-brainer because those are big payday fights for her. But the interesting thing about it was that Dana White was asked about this by TMZ sports. Now, Dana White, usually he kind of downplays a lot of these things, but um, he went in. He, uh, he said, I don't want to take the wind out of her sails. I'll let her say her own stuff. Obviously I know what's going on, but yeah, it's winding down for Rhonda. That's up to her to say how in terms of how many fights she has left, but she'll have enough for us to still enjoy watching her. She made a lot of money she accomplished what she set out to do, and she loves acting, she's good at it. If she dedicated herself to it, she would be even better at it. I think when she says she's done, she's done. She stopped doing judo, it moved on to mixed martial arts, and I think when she's done with that, she'll probably move on to acting. Um, you You know what the thing is? Ronda Rousey, and I've said this before, much like some of the other greats in the sport, there's a certain amount of, there's a time that goes by where every fight becomes repetitive. Do we really want to see Ronda Rousey fight Misha Tate for the fifth time? No. Do we want to see her fight Kat Zingano? Yeah, but nobody's going to really care. Would we like to see her and Holly Holm go at it one more time? Sure. You know, her and Amanda Nunes? Definitely a fight I'd check out. Do we want to see her and Cyborg? Hell yeah. But think about it. After she fights Cyborg, win or lose, what is left that anyone's going to give a shit about? Because what made Ronda so compelling is the fact that she would go in, she would decimate who she fought, and she would be, you know, she would she was marketable, and that's the whole thing. I think we'll see Ronda and Amanda Nunes. We're going to see probably Ronda run it back with with either Misha Tate or Holly Holm because there's unfinished business there, and then the big money fight with Cyborg, and that'll be it. But I'm telling you this right now, I can guarantee you that Vince McMahon or Triple H are watching that very, very closely. Anyone that doesn't think that WWE is going to make a pitch for Ronda to transition to pro wrestling is fucking crazy. <laughs> Like, like that's 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 one of those things. You know, she's into pro wrestling. She likes mixing it up. If if Ronda Rousey transitioned to pro wrestling, she would be fucking paid, paid. I mean, she she could come in and get a Brock Lesnar deal and fucking wrestle a couple of times a year and make money, just because she's got the charisma. She can sell out. You know, she can sell out arenas for the women's division. She's a name. You know. I think I think if you brought her in and you built her up through NXT, she, she came through the come up by the time she got onto the main roster, it, she'd write her own ticket. I mean don't get me wrong, Gina Carano transitioned from MMA to acting and she's had some fairly you know some fairly decent roles, obviously the big one recently as Angel in Deadpool. and I think Rhonda's trying to follow that same career, but I just I just have a nagging suspicion that Rhonda's career path is going to take her to WWE. I I just see it happening. I know a lot of people are probably going to be like, that's fucking crazy talk, man. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Oh my God. I just, uh, I'm not going to mention anything about Godzuki (laughs) at all. (laughs) Oh, The communiques I get, ladies and gents. Let's go to the chat. Um quark can't wait to see her at mania 35 in the main event (laughs) quark called it (laughs) quark says rousey and nxt are you out of your fucking mind no i'm not and i'll tell you why because if you've noticed what nxt does they take a star they build they build nxt around that star to continue to make nxt popular once they transition to another star, that star gets called up. Let me explain. If you remember, the original NXT was built around fucking um, Bo Dallas. Let's think about this. From Bo Dallas, we went to Neville. From Neville, we went to Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn stayed down there. Before you know it, you know Kevin Owens came in. Kevin Owens did his thing. Finn Balor, you know, KO got called up. Balor stayed down there. He held the company down. Then you built up Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe's going to get called up. I wouldn't be shocked if Samoa Joe's on the main roster by the Rumble. Um, And, you know, they're doing the same thing with Nakamura. Now, once you build up guys like Austin Aries, Bobby Roode, uh, you know, a lot of those major players, Roderick Strong, then Nakamura gets transitioned to the main roster. Now, on the women's side, WWE dropped the ball because they called up everybody and gutted their women's division. But if you remember... The women's division was built around, you know, we went from Paige and, you know, we transitioned from there to Bayley, uh, Charlotte, Sasha Banks, piece by piece. And each of them were the the draw for NXT at the time. Now, when you take an athlete like Ronda Rousey and you bring her into the mix, you know, she's going to be a big draw for NXT. She'll learn. She'll be able to work in front of a crowd. And then once she gets to the point where she's good then she too will be transitioned to the main roster. You got to remember, when you look at NXT, NXT is always about building the long game. And everybody's like, oh, Nakamura's got to get called up. He's got to get called up. He's got to get called up. Okay, but let me explain. You call up Nakamura now, then you put all that pressure on Samoa Joe to carry the brand with nobody that he can even wrestle that would look believable. Maybe Bobby Roode, but he's not. You know, they're not ready to move Bobby Roode up yet. But outside of that, maybe Austin Aries, or you know, that's that's it. Or Roderick Strong, and that's the whole. That's the whole problem. The problem is that it sounds crazy, but if you put Ronda Rousey in NXT and you built her up and you had her work her way up through the ranks, I guarantee you, people would tune in every week, every week, to see that. Quark ads, make Ronda a female Lesnar and call it a day. (laughs) You know what it is? Even if you, you can't, you could probably book her that way. But the problem is that Asuka is such a badass that in order for you to do that, Eric Young also, thank you. I forgot EY. You know, I'm so busy seeing him wrapped up in sanity that I don't think about EY being a viable contender. That's another guy that you could use to be champion in NXT. You know, you know. And and that's how it that's how it is. In any case, um, that bit of MMA news on the Ronda side of things is actually going to wrap up the MMA for this week. And it's interesting that we transitioned into some wrestling talk because let's get into some wrestling. all right let's talk about hell in a cell as many of you know there was a lot going into this card the only thing that didn't help hell in a cell was that piss poor raw last week but hell in a cell overall was a pretty solid event but as i said before i still felt that the cell should have been used in all the matches just because you know that's the theme use it but in any case I want to break down the matches. I don't want to go too crazy into it because I still want to talk about Raw. I still want to talk about um, SmackDown. And of course I want to stay within a particular time frame. but I got to say, even though Hell in a Cell had a terrible buildup, there were some incredibly solid matches. The Cruiserweight kickoff match was tremendous. If you're not sold on Cedric Alexander, Lince Dorado, Tony Nese, or Drew Gulak, you're fucking crazy these guys are insane insane they go out there they give you 110 percent, and it shows i mean you give those guys time and it's just it's just bananas so you start off with that match the crowd is, is red hot and then you go into the u.s title match and the u.s title match between roman reigns and rusev took place inside hell in a cell but i gotta tell you guys the fucking narrative for that for that match Was ridiculous. Don't get me wrong. There were some crazy spots. But the fact that Roman Reigns got choked with a chain. And got his ass whooped. And just gets the miracle spear off the steps to beat Rusev. Is fucking ridiculous. I understand he has to play the face in peril. But fuck did it make that match look like complete bullshit. When it was all said and done. Don't misunderstand. I didn't want Rusev to win the belt back anyway. But you know you 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 forced this match with these guys fighting in the cell and it really it was you know quark says fuck that u.s title match and i agree and the reason is because if you had to put a match inside hell in a cell i would have rather have put any other match except that match you know like that was that was my whole thing like it somebody somebody said on social media they're like the problem with Hell in a Cell is that it's lost its, you know, its special luster because it's it's just been completely overused. And it's true. Think about it. We had WrestleMania. We had a Hell in a Cell match. We got the pay-per-view Hell in a Cell. And then the problem is the matches that took place in the Cell, some of them didn't even need to be decided inside the Cell. I'll be honest, as much as the women's mat the women's match was dope, Did we need it inside Hell in a Cell? I'm being honest. I mean, aside from it, you know, the historical significance, did we need it inside Hell in a Cell? No. Did we need the universal title match inside Hell in a Cell? Sure, because you were supposed to, quote-unquote, keep Chris Jericho out. But, gee, that didn't fucking happen either. And that's the problem. I felt that there were good matches ruined by piss-poor booking. And that's what happened with with the Roman Reigns Rusev match. Like there was there was good there were there was good physicality, but the the end game of that the ending of that match was fucking bullshit. I was like, really? That was it? You do a, a spear, and it wasn't even the best one I've ever seen, and that's it. After you got choked with a fucking chain, with a chain, you got put in the accolade with a chain, and. You still had the wherewithal to win. I'm just like, all right. <laughs> Bailey and Dana Brooks match is about as epic as you would have expected it to be, meaning it wasn't. Um, you know, Dana Brooke went out there. She, she did her, her five signature moves of doom, which is consistent of hair pulling forearms, flexing, and patting bitches on the head. And then Bailey proceeded to drop her on a dome and send everyone home happy. It is what it is. Uh, Gallows and Anderson taking on Enzo and Big Kaz. I got, I got issues with this match. I got a lot of issues. I've said this before. I'll say it again. You go through the trouble of bringing over Gallows and Anderson, and you just make them look like complete shit every fucking week, every week. And then Enzo and Kaz, you try and get them out there to cut a promo that they got to make sure that they acknowledge the city they're in acknowledge whatever holiday it is acknowledge whatever pop culture item is trending i'm just the promos just feel fucking weak they feel weak i like enzo i think enzo is amazing he's got great timing but i know that creative is feeding him all this shit and he's going out there cutting these promos and they just sound completely fucking mickey mouse i'm like is this happening i mean monday when he came out dressed as fucking buzz lightyear i'm not gonna lie I laughed for like five minutes because it looked completely and utterly ridiculous. But I'll get into that in a minute. But the match itself was, was fucking bullshit. It really was. It really was completely terrible. Slick says Gallows and Anderson should be 2016 demolition. Instead, they're 2016 bushwhackers. <laughs> Quark adds Enzo is the new fandangoing. You know, that's, <laughs> that's pretty appropriate. That is pretty appropriate. you know, Enzo comes out, he does the dab. It, you know it, it, obviously uh, you know TJ Perkins does the dab, but it works. I don't know why when TJ Perkins does the dab, it works for like his character. When Enzo's out there doing the <laughs> doing the dab, I'm like, fuck <laughs> uh, You know what it is? I don't think Enzo and Cass suck. I just think that they're they're trying too hard. Like, one of the things that made them work in NXT is they came out, they cut their promo, they had a decent match, and that was it. It's like, you got to get him out, you got to have him talk for 14 minutes, and then he has a match that is complete dog shit. I don't know why. And it's just like, dude, you were in NXT for a minute. Like, why is it that when you try to do your your off-the-top-rope DDT, like, it doesn't even connect correctly? (laughs) Like, what is that? Anyway, you know, we got that you know I had like I said I had my issues uh the universal title match we knew that they were probably going to keep it on owens I would have liked to have seen rollins win it but obviously they're going for the um they're going for the bigger narrative I really felt that chris jericho's involvement hurt the match and I'll tell you why because they're doing to kevin owens what they did to seth rollins where every time the guy's defending his title. He ends up retaining because he can't beat the person on their own. And I don't like it. You did it with Seth Rollins and fucking ruined his title reign. And you're kind of doing it with Kevin Owens because you're putting in too much Chris Jericho. I felt that putting Chris Jericho in that match was unnecessary. I really did. I like Kevin Owens. I thought the match was good. But I just I just felt that putting Chris Jericho in there just takes away from what Kevin Owens is trying to accomplish. And don't get me wrong. I like Kevin Owens and and Chris Jericho in there, but I just don't like, you know, I don't like making him a crutch for Kevin Owens. Val says, WWE heel champs equals can't win clean. But you know what it is? Why does that need to be the case? Like, why why do we always have to do that? Slick ads, uh, Owens match, Two things are guaranteed. He rolls out of the ring when the bell rings and Chris Jericho makes the save at the end. (laughs) Jimbo Slice says uh, Enzo and Kaz, they're one trick ponies. Great on the mic and shit in the ring. Uh... (laughs) You know what the problem was with Seth Rollins title reign? You know, Quark says that Seth Rollins title reign was great. The problem was that when we started getting too much J&J security and fucking Kane, and all that shit it was it was way too overdone like when it was just j and j security getting their asses handed to them once in a while it was fine but again it was one of those things that i felt hindered instead of helped his title reign that's 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 what i'm saying um outside of of chris jericho's involvement rollins and owens had a crazy crazy match i gotta say Owens is a strong mother... I mean, Rollins is a strong motherfucker when he got Kevin Owens up for that powerbomb and threw him out of the ring through the table. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mark out for shit like that, but I was just like, holy shit, especially because he had to fucking gorilla that motherfucker up to throw him over the top rope through the table. The spot was insane. I was like, wow, that was fucking crazy. And, you know, stuff like that made the match really, really good. And then you got Chris Jericho come in there to to fucking ruin the ending, after that crazy spot, I was like, shit, that would that was that was bananas. I was really blown away by that. Like I said, obviously Rollins being a, a strong mofo and Owens taking that bump like a champion. Cause fuck, man, I cringed when I saw. I was like, oh, the, especially because the table exploded and his, his like the back of his head pretty much just ran down the side of the cage. Um, you know, it was it was. A great match just ruined by by a piss-poor ending. Uh, the Cruiserweight title match, Brian Kendrick winning. I mean, I like Brian Kendrick. Um, we knew it was going to happen. The storyline was going in that direction. I think Kendrick being heel, you know, the heel champion, is going to make things interesting. I also like uh, TJ Perkins. You know, TJ Perkins is over with the crowd, so him chasing the belt is going to be good since there's real history there. And Rich Swann defeated Brian Kendrick. You got to remember that. So does this put Rich Swan in the t- in the title picture right away? I think, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing Swann and Kendrick mix it up. I think that would be an awesome match for sure. Um, tag team titles. You know, I said that the New Day was going to lose and Cesaro and Sheamus were going to get it together and win the titles. Obviously, they did win, just not the way we thought um the match was the match was good there was some really good moments there the ending was you know i was annoyed a little bit only because it's like wow you really had to make the new day go that route but i mean there's probably a bigger story at play i'm gonna see how it plays out um but i i figured that the reason that they kept the new day with uh you know with the belts was to go into survivor series as captains you know as the coke as the co-captains of their team which makes sense. Um <laughs> we'll see we'll see what happens. David says dope fiend for champion. <laughs> uh, Jimbo Slice. Rich Swan is breaking into my neighbor's house across the street. <laughs> Why is everybody shitting on poor Rich Swan? I mean, yeah, he he looks like he may pawn the belt after he wins it, but he is an incredible wrestler, man! Incredible, oh man! <laughs> All right, let's talk about the women's Hell in the Cell match. The women's Hell in the Cell match was good, but they were just there were just too many things that went wrong. Tables not breaking, um you know just they they tried to do a lot of spots that usually would have worked and for some reason they just weren't and um you know Sasha Banks just it, it's like yo you got you lost cuz you got thrown into a table like three times and you know Charlotte they wanted to get over Charlotte's natural selection finisher which was obvious um and there's rumors that Vince McMahon wants to see Bailey in the title picture and that was one of the reasons why they took the belt off of Charlotte. I mean, off of Sasha to put her and Bailey together. Um, and, ugh, is it right? Is it wrong? I don't know. I mean, I kind of felt that Sasha losing in front of her home crowd—you know, the hometown—was fucking. I'm like, damn, you can't even show her any love in her own hometown. Shit. Um, the match itself was was solid. I really enjoyed it. I just felt that all the props and all the extra shit instead of adding to the match they took they honestly took away from the match which is unfortunate there were a lot of crazy spots that that were going on in that match and you know it was it was just it just kind of fell apart like like i said you didn't need that match to take place in the cell to be to be solid i mean you know everybody the the, the biggest thing was you know she lost by atomic wedgie you know, Sasha Banks lost by atomic wedgie because by the time it was done, you know, her ass cheeks were essentially hanging out of her pants. That's why she really lost, folks, because Charlotte gave her an atomic wedgie before hitting her with the natural selection. <laughs> oh, my God, oh man, it was it just, you know, it was what it was. I felt Hell in a Cell was was decent. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. It just was. And like I said, a lot of the a lot of the reasoning in that is because of the whole forced cell stipulation. I honestly think and, I, and I'm you know, some people are going to give me flack for this. I would genuinely do away with the hell in the cell pay-per-view and only save that match for fucking special occasions. I'm being serious. I would put it right up there with the elimination chamber where you only break it out when it's absolute when you really want to close out a feud. Because the minute you do a pay-per-view based on it and you try and force certain feuds into that gimmick match, it just it just forces a narrative that isn't necessary. I genuinely would do away with Hell in a Cell. I would have probably brought back Halloween Havoc. That would have been cool. Like, use Halloween Havoc and do that, you know, the Sunday before the Raw on Halloween. That would have been awesome. I would have brought – I would have definitely used Halloween Havoc for that. And you could have had fun with it, man. Use Halloween Havoc. Make it a raw pay-per-view and, um, you know, just go with that. David says, bring back the Elimination Chamber. I don't have a problem with the Elimination Chamber because it's exactly that. It's a special match. It's a one and done. You don't have to put everybody in the Elimination Chamber. But you know what? Thinking about it, let's say you did the Elimination Chamber. Would you guys, and, and I'm being honest, would you guys be interested if there was a women's match with inside the elimination chamber, I'm being honest. I'd like to see what you guys would would say about that. If you did a match where it was, you know, Charlotte, Sasha, Nia, Jax, Bailey, maybe Emma when she comes back, would you? What would would you guys be opposed to a match like that? An elimination chamber match for the Raw Women's title inside the elimination chamber? Because we saw how it went with Hell in a Cell. It was okay. But I'm curious what you guys would, would, would say about, you know, a women's a women's title match inside the elimination chamber. Curious. Definitely curious about that. Hell, I wouldn't even mind uh, the cruiserweight title being defended inside the elimination chamber. You know, TJ, Rich Swan, Drew Gulak, Tony Neese, and the Brian Kendrick. You know, like shit like that would be dope. But again, you don't have to do it every year. You can make the elimination chamber part of another pay per view and just make that the main event same thing with hell in the cell <laughs> huh interesting uh david says naya would murder them bitches like the animal she is oh god <laughs> uh quark says nope you, uh, you know I, I think i think that the problem is that when you're pigeon these matches inside stipulations um it just it, it hurts the match Quark says Sasha and Charlotte look like they were about to pass out in the cell. So nah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's go into Raw Monday Night Raw. Obviously, post pay per view edition had a lot going for it. Uh, we had we had a Goldberg sighting. Uh, he came in. Um, pretty much was going to kill Paul Heyman. Rusev comes out. Rusev eats a spear and jackhammer, and the Paul Paul Heyman eats a spear. For his troubles. Obviously, they did this because we wanted to show Goldberg do all his signature moves. Obviously, him falling and stumbling and bumbling like a crash dummy was um, it definitely didn't do him any favors. And he actually acknowledged that in an interview. He said he was a little rusty. You know, adrenaline was high. So I'm not I'm not going to gauge the guy's performance uh, on on him falling but it was funny as shit. I'm like, look at this motherfucker breakdancing in the ring because he can't he can't fucking keep it together. <laughs> uh, Val says Goldberg looks like he aged into Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> to which David adds, Oldberg. Oh my god. Um, like I said, I thought I thought it was good because you wanted to get Goldberg over. You obviously we we knew we were going to see a spear and jackhammer before him and Brock Lesnar faced off at Survivor Series, much like we know that Goldberg and Lesnar are going to be in the ring at least one time before Survivor Series goes down. They'll probably have the whole locker room empty out. (laughs) And uh, David says, Barry Rusev for this old fuck. (laughs) God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Jimbo Slice says, Rich Swan was apprehended. The cops found Vince McMahon's credit cards on him. (laughs) I can't. I fucking can't. (laughs) I can't. Jesus. Anyway, David adds, Barry Rusev for this old fuck. You know what the funny thing is? I believe that uh, Brock Lesnar is going to fight Rusev during a house show in Mexico uh, later on in December. So Rusev is essentially going to be the glorified jobber for Brock Lesnar and for Goldberg. So, you're not you're not too far off, David. You are not too far off. Uh we got a Trick or Treat street fight with Enzo and Luke Gallows. Fuck that match. Again, you know, it was funny when when Big Cass comes out dressed like Woody the Cowboy and Enzo came out dressed as Buzz Lightyear, like I said, hilarious visual. That match, holy shit. I said why am I watching a Raw from 1999? Like, next we're going to have a gravy bowl match. It was, again, just misusing Gallows and Anderson. Just complete misuse. Uh, TJ Perkins and Brian Kendrick had a, uh, a rematch, which TJ Perkins won via countout. I actually liked what they did uh, getting TJ Perkins, you know, just to have a little bit more of a, of a badass streak, which, w- which was cool. You know, the Raw Battle Royal, we knew that it was, you know, for for a slot on the Raw Survivor Series team. S- seeing Sami Zayn being in there with Braun Strowman, we knew it was going to be one of the two. But outside of that, you knew it was just going to be Braun Strowman. As a, and the funny thing is, Braun Strowman's on the Raw team. Bray Wyatt's on the SmackDown team. I would laugh my ass off if Braun Strowman just turned on the Raw team, beat them all, and allowed the SmackDown team to win. Just, just saying. <laughs> Quark says Trick or Street fight was the best match on Raw in months. No joke, pure entertainment. I am not even going to validate that with a response. <laughs> oh man, we saw Rich Swan, Lince Dorado, and Cedric Alexander take on Nice Gulak and Davari again. The problem with this is you're using the same six guys in the same fucking in the same match every week. Have some singles matches, throw a little variety in there. We get it. You guys got cruiserweights. We don't need a six man tag match every week, ladies and gents. We don't. Aside from the fact that why can't we have the cruiserweights compete against some of the other guys on the roster? Where the fuck is Adrian Neville? Hello, Neville, cruiserweight. Let's make it happen, people. Shit. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, why can we not see, like, Tony Nese and Adrian Neville have a match? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Neville? Hobbit? Anywhere? I'm serious. Fucking ridiculous. Nia Jax came out, beat Bailey dead. Um, I was like, yo, where, where is Nia Jax? I thought she was injured, because it's been weeks since I've seen her on TV, and all of a sudden she comes out, kills Bailey, and then what? So... Let me, let me put this out there, guys. Nia Jax came out and killed the person that you're essentially trying to groom to challenge your women's champion. What does this mean? Are you, A, going to let Nia Jax make a run at the belt, or, B, did you just fucking you know, ignore the booking from Sunday to Monday? Because think about it. Nia Jax came out, kills Bailey, who's allegedly going to be the next in line. Does this mean that Nia Jax is going to challenge Charlotte? They're not gonna job Nia Jax to Charlotte either. Like, what does that even mean? I was I was completely baffled by that finish. I really was. Sheamus and Cesaro took on the Goya brothers in another throwaway match. Just, just, it's just a waste. Such a fucking waste. uh, The shining stars being on my fucking TV is a waste. Send them to NXT because I just I just can't. You know, I can't can't deal with it on my TV every week. Quark says Nia won because she's not like most girls. (laughs) Touche, sir. Touche. U.S. title match, of course. Roman Reigns, Chris Jericho. A lot of great mic work from Jericho and Owens throughout the night. But um, the big end result was Rollins coming out, saving uh, Roman Reigns. Everybody's calling for a Shield reunion, which... Is allegedly going to happen and i'll be honest i'm going to be completely honest i would not be mad if the shield reformed in some capacity and the reason i say this is because roman reigns by himself nobody gives a shit about him and seth rollins face run hasn't exactly been setting the ring on fire either not from a wrestling standpoint but from a story perspective it just hasn't worked I wouldn't mind seeing the Shield back together because guess what? Roman Reigns didn't talk. Seth Rollins did all the talking, and Dean Ambrose was a fucking maniac, and it worked. The minute you separated them, eh, we started seeing a lot of the flaws that we knew were there. You know, Val goes Shield reunion. Meh. They've all gotten kind of tired, <laughs> and Dean Ambrose equals Cena 2.0. Oh my God, Val, you're probably going to get some hate mail for that from someone. <laughs> Someone's going to listen to this show and they're going to be like, how the fuck is that guy going to say that Dean Ambrose is John Cena 2.0 when Roman Reigns is John Cena 2.0? Uh-huh. (laughs) Uh-huh. Because that's really it. Roman Reigns is essentially Cena 2.0. The crowd hates him the same way that they hate Cena, even though, to to Val's point, he does have less moves. (laughs) uh quark you don't have a dude threaten to kill edge and become a face out of nowhere yes exactly bingo that is exactly right quark 100 percent. dean ambrose yeah playing like the stone cold role is fine but being a completely insane deranged brian pillman style lunatic is what we need an anti-hero not the guy that's helping james ellsworth cross the fucking street every week Don't need that. We don't. (laughs) We don't. Anyway, while we are on the subject of Ambrose, let's get into SmackDown this week. So Randy Orton defeated Kane thanks to the involvement of the Wyatt family, which continues to strengthen the argument that Randy Orton is joining the Wyatts. Don't really know how I feel about that. I feel that it's going to be like when Daniel Bryan joined the Wyatts and then turned on him. I kind of see it going that route, but... We'll see. Alexa Bliss and Carmella defeated Nikki Bella and Becky Lynch in a match that nobody gave a shit about. Hate to say it. We had a Survivor Series qualifier with American Alpha defeating the Spirit Squad, because I guess the Spirit Squad is now a legit thing that we're going to see on TV every week. And sure, you know, Ken, Ken Doan is incredibly athletic and talented, but Mikey looks like a car salesman. Mikey looks like bootleg Michael Chiklis. Like, I'm looking at him, and I'm like, yo, what is Michael Chiklis doing on my TV? Was, I, was, I was like, yo. I'm like, look at bootleg Michael Chiklis out there. He looks like a complete Momo. Stupid. Um, Dolph Ziggler defeated Hurt Kurt Hawkins because why? <laughs> you know, we had an IC title match, and I'm like, Kurt Hawkins is challenging for the IC title, which I actually saw, I believe, Quark mentioned it on Twitter. And when he said that, I was like, Yeah. Curt Hawkins is challenging for the IC title. Why? <laughs> um, the Usos took on the Headbangers because headbanger sighting. And um, that was a Survivor Series qualifier. And Dean Ambrose defeated AJ Styles in a non-title match. Uh, Am- uh, Ambrose is going to be facing AJ Styles at TLC in a, uh, you guessed it, a TLC match for the title I kind of feel that there is a possibility that Ambrose may win the belt back. <sighs> I got to say that the opening promo from James Ellsworth, I'm like, why is this happening? Why? Why? Like he's out there. He's just like, Oh, I'm so sorry, Dean. Blah, I have no fucking chin. I, you know what Dean? Yo, I just realized James Ellsworth Looks like the person that got their face ripped off by the chimp after they attached their face back on. Like, he looks like, like, he always looks like his face isn't his face. Like, I want to pull his face off, like you do in Scooby Doo, and see who's really under there. (laughs) I'm I'm like, I'm like, yo, he is an ugly son of a bitch. (laughs) Really is. I'm like, look at this chinless motherfucker. (laughs) it was It was bad, man. I'm watching the promo, and I'm just like oh god it was it was it was so terrible. I mean, I understand <laughs> Val says, Why the fuck is he on t v like really dude i I don't know, man, he might have like you know blackmail on Vince McMahon or something because dude, it's every week guy challenged for the belt. I understand that he's a means to an end, but <laughs> I, I, I got nothing, dude. I got nothing. <laughs> anyway, SmackDown was actually pretty solid. Dare I say it had a couple of better moments than Raw did? Um, like I said, I know that where we're going with uh, Orton pro- possibly joining the Wyatts, eh, you know, it is it is what it is. Um, <laughs> he's too old for Make a Wish. Yeah, I just I just don't know. I think. Um, I'm looking at James Ellsworth like Eugene 2K17. Like, think about it. Eugene came in and, you know, everybody was high on Eugene and they thought Eugene was a cool character and then everybody hated Eugene and then everybody was like, please get this guy off my fucking TV. And James Ellsworth is the new Eugene. You know, he was funny and everybody thought it was funny for a few minutes and now people are like, why is he still on my TV? Unless you're David and you're like, I hate his guts. <laughs> uh, Val says, Eugene was the most fucked up thing WWE ever did. No. Triple H having sex with a dead body in a funeral home was the most fucked up thing WWE did. Um, the big boss man dragging a casket that had the big show's father in it with the big show hanging from the top of it was pretty fucked up. May Young giving birth to a hand was pretty fucked up. Vince McMahon sticking his ass inside his face inside Rikishi's ass. Pretty fucked up. (laughs) Oh, my God. Quark says, people bitch about Ellsworth, but at the end, but the AJ and Ambrose feud would be boring without him. (laughs) Val says, nope, having a dude pretend to be special needs is higher than all of that. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. As someone who has you know, special needs individuals in their family. I definitely would wince when he'd come out. I'd be like, uh, you're kind of you're teetering between offensive and not offensive. But then I remember we also did, Bill. you know, they also had Billy and Chuck. And that was just ah, so many, so many blemishes that we could talk about. But in any case, let's switch gears, jump into some of the other wrestling news of the week, because there are definitely quite a few. Um... WWE released their (laughs) – WWE released uh, some of their numbers from their third quarter financial reports. And I want to share these numbers with you because, again, as much as people shit on WWE, they are doing it right when it comes to original content courtesy of the WWE Network. Let me explain. WWE Network revenues increased 10% to $45.1 million dollars. In addition to that, WWE Network subscription revenue increased 18% to $42.8 million from $36.4 million in the prior year's quarter. There was also a 24% year-over-year increase in paid subscribers. The WWE Network has 1.4 million total paid subscribers at the end of the third quarter, which represents a 17% increase from September 30th, 2015. Ladies and gentlemen, like I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm not shilling the WWE network, but for 10 bucks, you get a shitload of value. The WWE network had 1.7 million US paid subscribers and 373 international paid subscribers by quarter's end. In addition to that, they said the WWE is on pace to add 300 hours of original content to the network's featured programming brackets for 2016. They also plan to add an additional twenty five hundred archived footage, uh, twenty five hundred hours of archived footage on the network. When it is all said and done, the WWE network will have over seven thousand hours by year's end, twenty sixteen. A couple of things about this: people are always curious about, you know, the money that's being made. The WWE has done a very good job with the network because they're continuing to build not only the network itself, but a lot of ancillary content that is bringing people to the network. The Cruiserweight Classic, a great example. It was good. People tuned in. It was exciting. It actually made people want to subscribe. We got NXT. We got the pay-per-views. Again, for $10, you're getting a lot of fucking value, even though, like I've said before, even if we took away all the shitty pay-per-views and I'm talking about, you know, all the, the, anything that's not the big four, it is still a great value because again, the big four at $60 a pop would cost you $240. Think about it. $60 for WrestleMania, $60 for the rumble, $60 for survivor series and 60 for SummerSlam, you know, it's 240 bucks like that. Meanwhile, you know, for a fraction, you're getting all the pay-per-views and you're enjoying other original content. I don't say it to sell the network even though I could because it's fucking $10. We spend that on 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 things that are that are far less useful. So, there you have it. On the Access TV side of things, if you're not watching Access TV, then you are missing out on New Japan Pro Wrestling, which they give every Friday night usually at 10 or 11 p.m. Um, originally, it was Mar Ronaldo and um, – oh, what the hell is his name? Jesus. Uh, Josh Barnett. Uh, Mar Ronaldo and Josh Barnett were doing commentary for New Japan Pro Wrestling's broadcast in English on Access TV. Now it is good old JR who is doing commentary with Josh Barnett, and we're seeing some amazing matches. If you haven't seen New Japan Pro Wrestling and are a fan of guys like Nakamura – um finn balor the bullet club uh gallows and anderson do yourselves a favor check out new japan pro wrestling on access tv they show a lot of great old matches uh great matches with aj like aj and okada's matches in new japan pro wrestling were amazing if you haven't seen them please do yourselves a favor and check it out like i said if you have access tv Check your local cable provider, especially because you get to hear good old JR on the microphone, and we get to hear a lot of the Oh my God, he's been broken in half. Yes, JR is definitely doing that shit on New Japan Pro Wrestling. Not so over the top, but definitely uh, you know, getting beaten by you know, getting beat by it like a scalded dog is definitely up there, that's for sure. Now I want to get into something a little bit more realistic, and this is something that has been bothering me. Um Kevin Steen's wife, a.k.a. Kevin Owens, uh, recently deleted her Instagram account because of bullying. Now, as many of you people know, uh, Kevin Owens' wife shares videos of his son watching Raw and, you know, a lot of family stuff. You know, she just runs an Instagram account like anyone else. And um, one of the biggest controversies that came out of that was the guy from ESPN Radio, Amin el Hassan, who said some, you know, some, some... Trollish remarks directed at Kevin Owens' son based on a video that she shared when Kevin Owens won the universal title. Well, besides that, which was incredibly tasteless, um, she has, you know, she's been receiving a lot of just online bullying and just really just terrible things. You know, she just puts up videos of her kids, nothing crazy, you know, just a regular person and their regular Instagram. And it leads me to something that I've said before on this show on numerous occasions. Yes, social media is great to interact with your favorite actors, actresses, music- musicians, wrestlers, etc. But the thing is, you know, David says people need thicker skin. Here's my problem. I think that if you're going to try and attack someone, I get it. But you shouldn't attack children. And that was the problem. A lot of the stuff that was being said was directed at their children, and that shit's just not fucking cool, you know? And that's the the thing. You want, like, listen, I'm going to give you guys an example. Stephanie McMahon put up a picture a few months back of her and her two daughters, and it was just a nice family photo. And a guy wrote, I kid you not, I I wish I could screen grab it. She said... She's like, oh, me and my two daughters having a great day, blah blah blah. This guy writes, I kid you not. Oh man, considering you just had two kids, those tits are looking banging. I was like, holy shit! And again, I understand, you know, people are people are gonna do crazy shit, but I'm just like, holy shit, man! That's a lady and her kids. Regardless of, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's funny, but it's like. Like, yo, it's a mother and her kids. Like, aside from what you're going to say, you're saying that. And it just it just bugs me, man. It really does. Because, again, if you're if you're if you're, you know, trying to troll Kevin Owens on Twitter, he's going to shut you down and send you on your way. I mean, some people, I think, intentionally troll Kevin Owens on purpose just so that they can be attacked by Kevin Owens. I kind of feel that way. And here's the thing. Kevin Owens' wife is just a normal person running a normal Instagram account that people figured out, oh, that's Kevin Owens' wife, and they're going to follow her thinking they're going to get some sort of special insight into Kevin Owens. It's a lady running her Instagram account, no different than my personal Instagram account being separate from my Rageworks account, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's go to the chat. Val says, some people aren't built for trolling. Social media is a festering pool of hatred shitty people are shitty slick ads it's okay because ko will show up there and punch someone in the fucking mouth as much as i shit on wwe kevin owens i love ko in real life david adds but you know the internet is full of assholes and you choose to post your kids in that environment here's here's the thing david you know it's very easy to say oh you know the internet's a terrible place you shouldn't be involved but the thing is that the internet even if it's full of vile vicious and cruel people you're going in there with the noblest of intentions and i say this with everything facebook instagram snapchat yes you're putting you out there publicly to be judged and i honestly feel that if you are the spouse of a professional wrestler that maybe you want to keep your social media private maybe maybe you want to make your instagram page private just to interact with you know people that you feel you're comfortable interacting with. I'm not saying that it's right, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying that these are people with families, children and real lives. And yes, they entertain us every week and they do a damn good job. But fuck, you know, like turn it off or turn it down a bit. Like it it's insane. It is insane some of the stuff people write to these individuals, you know? Slick says I'm surprised at Dave saying that because you would show up to punch someone in the fucking mouth about three hours before Kevin Owens and then come back five minutes after Kevin Owens. Quark adds, as a troll myself, even I don't go as far as these neck beards. You know what the thing is? I can understand if you're trying to, you know, trying to do a rib, having a little fun, you know, harmless, harmless teasing. And that's the thing. There's a fine line between harmless teasing and being a complete maniac. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if she puts up a picture of her kid There should be no reason why she can't just put up a picture of her kid in peace, because that's the thing. Kevin Owens doesn't say, hey, follow my wife on social media, and she's not running around saying, hey, I'm Kevin Owens' wife, follow me on social media. She just has a social media account, like anyone else, and that's what I'm saying. We've reached an, an age where people are like, oh, man, you know, you just shouldn't be on social media. Why? Why shouldn't you? Why should my... Why should my, you know, somebody in my family not be allowed to use social media because I'm famous? Like, okay, I'm famous. They're not. And that's what I mean. Like, there's there's a line, you know. There's a line that has to be respected. And this is happening not just with wrestling. It's happening with comics. It's happening with movies. I mean, it's happening with, um, you know. With actors and actresses that have to leave social media just because they're being bullied or or people are saying terrible and vile things. And again, don't misunderstand. You want to troll. You want to have a little fun. Get blocked by your favorite celebrity. Okay, whatever. But to, to, you know, go and talk about someone's children or, or you know, just be just, just evil motherfuckers. You know, like that's just that's why, like, you know, I joke around. Slick knows me very well. I joke around, I have limits, you know, I have limits and I know that people have limits. I don't go and, and, and step into certain territories to clown people because just, I don't want it done to me. So why would I do it? But that's the problem. People love the veil, the, the, the comfortable blanket of anonymity that the internet provides and people forget that every little racist thing you write on Twitter, people can find out where you work. People can find out where you live, you know, and then people will promptly punch you in the face. Just how it is. I mean, Slick Slick is going to remember this Uh, when Amazing Red was on the show and a guy called in to do an angle on air with Amazing Red. I didn't even know about it. And I ended up meeting the guy in person. He didn't know. He didn't know that who I was, and I was like, hey, you're so-and-so, and he's like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I run this show, and he was like, oh, shit, man, I'm so sorry, blah, 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 why? Because it is a small world. Yes, you may think, oh, I live in another state, I live in another country, you never know, ever, and it just, it just bothers me, you know, it's just, nobody should, nobody should be not allowed to go on social media, regardless of who they are, because everyone is a person first and foremost before they're an actor or a wrestler or some sort of big time celebrity hell even a politician they are still a person first that's it simple as that you know that's just that's just how i see it It, it, you know it reminds me of jay and silent bob strike back when they were Reading the messages on the board, and they were like, "Did you write on moviepoopshoot.com that Jay and Silent Bob are clown shoes?" And they beat the fuck out of that guy. That's what's going to start happening more and more frequently. People are going to get people are going to talk shit. Somebody's going to use the old Google machine, show up at your doorstep, and beat the holy piss out of you. And then you're gonna then you're gonna wonder why. I don't know why this guy showed up in my house. Oh well, you kind of said you know X, Y, and Z about the guy's wife and kids on social media. You know, it's just how it is. That's that. These are the facts, ladies and gentlemen. We are nobody should be deprived of using any sort of social media because they go into that social media to just, you know, share share pictures of their kids, share their experiences, share food, whatever the case may be. Nobody should be nobody should tell anybody else how to do what to do. On social media you want to fucking go and and you're a girl and you want to post thirst pics knock yourself out but know that if you're posting thirst pics on instagram you might get shouted out on your dms and somebody may send you a couple of dick pics and then what it's not it's nobody's fault it's just how it is somebody said hey i'm gonna whip out my junk take a photo of it and i'm gonna send it to you because you put a picture of yourself in a bathing suit on instagram you didn't ask for it, but I'll gladly give it to you. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Like nobody, nobody's, I shouldn't, I'm a firm believer that if I don't tell you how to manage your business, don't tell me how to manage mine. But I'll, I'll say this also. Social media is for everyone, period. You shouldn't attack your favorite director because he decided to cast XYZ actor in a movie and then send him, send him a message on Twitter that you're going to burn down his house. You're doing it wrong. The cops will knock on your door. They will pay you a visit. Don't go on Twitter and say that you're going to you're going to shoot up the White House if Trump gets elected because guess what? Someone will come knocking on that door for you. And it's not even it's not even shit like that like the president. If you say something to someone on social media that is considered a threat and they report it to the police, it doesn't matter whether you were trolling or not. They will come looking for you, period. If someone feels threatened, it's, it's extremely serious, folks. Extremely serious. You want to have a little fun? Write a blog post. <laughs> I'm serious. Write a blog post. Do a podcast. You want to you vent? You want to scream? You want to do something? Do it creatively. Simple as that. Anyway, let's move on and get into some of the other wrestling news of the week. As I was talking about earlier, Survivor Series is starting to take shape, and it is going to be four hours long. This is going to be the first four-hour Survivor Series, now joining WrestleMania and SummerSlam as, as four-hour events. Now, Survivor Series thus far has Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg. We got a Survivor Series men's match with AJ Styles, Randy Orton, Dean Ambrose, and Baron Corbin taking on Bray Wyatt, Kevin Owens, Chris Jericho, Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman, and a fifth member. Now, a lot of people were saying that they botched it and they put on WWE.com that it was supposed to be Sami Zayn, but I have a feeling it's going to be Seth Rollins. It'll probably be Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, and the only reason I say this is because you have champions and challengers on the same team, like AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose. If you're going to have Kevin Owens, you're obviously going to have Seth Rollins. That's all I'm saying. We got a Survivor Series women's match. It's going to be Becky Lynch, Nikki Bella, Carmella, and Alexa Bliss, and Naomi with Natalia as the quote-unquote coach, taking on Charlotte, Bayley, Nia Jax, and two other uh, female wrestlers to be named at a later date. I'm sure one of them is going to be Sasha Banks, and I wouldn't be surprised if the other one is Emma. We'll see what happens. On the tag team side of things, you got Heath Slater, Rhino, the Hype Bros, and American Alpha, and the Usos, and another team to be determined, taking on the New Day and Team Raw. Don't know who the other members are going to be, but we do know that the New Day are going to be leading that charge. I have a nagging suspicion that it will probably be the New Day and Enzo and Big Kaz. Just a just a theory. On the IC title side of things, Dolph Ziggler is defending their his IC title against a member of the Raw roster. Could be anybody. Now, the question is, if Dolph Ziggler loses the IC title to someone on Raw, does that mean that, A, the IC title goes to Raw, or does it mean, B, that the winning Raw superstar comes to SmackDown? Very interesting. I'm almost inclined to say that it's probably going to be Sami Zayn. Just Just a thought. Dolph Ziggler versus Sami Zayn. Maybe Zayn wins, and then Zayn comes to SmackDown. Just a thought. Anyway, I'm sure Survivor Series will continue taking shape. I mean, the shit is four hours. Um, We'll see what happens, obviously. uh, Keep it locked to MTR, not next week, but the week after, and we'll discuss the additional members to those teams. If you've been keeping an eye on social media lately, you know that Austin Aries... Took a a, a, suffered a really crazy injury in a match with with Shinsuke Nakamura. It was brutal. Turns out that Austin Aries is going to be out of action till next year because Aries suffered an orbital fracture, courtesy of Shinsuke Nakamura. Now, you know orbital orbital fractures are incredibly serious. Uh, They take a long time to heal up. Uh, there's a lot of factors there. I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see Austin Aries on TV till at least March, maybe April, because it's a it's a very very long healing process for that type of an injury. I mean, you know, was it was it uh, negligent on Nakamura's part? I don't I don't know. I mean, somebody had posted cell phone video footage, but you couldn't even tell. Uh, in any case, Aries is on the shelf till early next year. So maybe, maybe March at the earliest, you know, we were talking about the cruiserweights on raw and how they're being used and on pay-per-views. Well, it looks like WWE is going to give the cruiserweights a place to shine on their own. A brand new show called two Oh five live is going to showcase the cruiserweight division. Uh, It's going to be called by Mauro Ranallo and Corey Graves. And the show will air um, live after SmackDown and they're going to probably be moving talking smack to 11 p.m. Uh, basically, 205 Live is going to feature superstars that are 205 pounds and under. Obviously, Brian Kendrick, TJ Perkins, Rich Swan, Noam Dar, Ho Ho Loon, Cedric Alexander, Lindsay Dorado, Grand Metalik, Tazawa, of course, Jack Gallagher, uh, and the Shira brothers are just some of the cruiserweights that you can see when 205 Live debuts on the wwe network i think this is something that many of us have been looking forward to and i'm really i'm really excited to see what they do i think they're going to get a chance to really cut loose like they did during the cruiserweight classic plus again it's going to give us some awesome content that we can enjoy on the network we got a hulk hogan update for you guys this week no he is not officially a grand dragon in the kkk he is actually 31 million dollars richer. Uh, CNBC announced that Gawker has settled their case with Hulk Hogan, with Hogan receiving a $31 million payout. Plus, there he is also going to get proceeds from Gawker's $135 million sale to Univision. Um, Of course, Hogan sued Gawker, uh, Denton, the, um, you know, Nick Denton, the CEO, and AJ Delario for posting the sex tape of him and causing emotional distress. A Florida grand jury awarded Hogan a $140 million settlement. The judgment led to Gawker declaring bankruptcy and, of course, being sold to Univision in August. This is a huge win for Hulk Hogan. Not only did he sink Gawker, but he got $31 million plus he's getting proceeds from the company's sale. Now, the company was sold for $135 million. And the jury awarded Hogan 140 million. So I'm curious to see how much he's going to walk away with when it is all said and done. It is it is insane that Hulk Hogan essentially destroyed the Gawker Empire like that. Crazy, freaking crazy is what it is. Val says because it's Florida and they believe you could drop the M bomb whenever you want as a <laughs> as a blonde white guy. <laughs> You know what it is? Do I think that what H- what Hogan did was right? No. Do I think that they violated his privacy in releasing it? Absolutely. That's 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 the whole point. I mean, did Hogan know he was probably being filmed? Yes. Did he think that his own best friend would let the tape get out and be sold or, or, or leaked out to the press? Probably not. Or maybe he did. Who knows? But that's... It, that entire case was insane. It's like, hey, here's my wife, pound her out. I'm gonna film it, and we'll still be friends. What? <laughs> like, am I hearing that right? It was. It was insane. It was insane. But I gotta say that what they did to Hulk Hogan was fucked up. I'm not saying that you know him dropping the, you know the M bomb or or being a, a closet racist was right or wrong. You know, it's it just. I just felt that what they you know, that what that what he ended up going through as a result of that was insane. And the company should have known like anything else. If we put this out to the public, we are going to get sued. Like, I just don't understand the logic. Like, hey, here's a video, you know, here's a video of this guy having sex with this person. Hey, does he know that he was recorded? No. All right. Well, we're going to we're going to put it out to the public. You do realize we're going to get sued. Like, just listen to the logistics in that. Hey, we got a video of this guy having sex and we're going to put it out there. You know, you know, you're going to get sued. Like, I just didn't understand how Gawker thought that they were going to skate on leaking that video and not get sued. I just don't get that. Like, your company got destroyed. Because you wanted a, a couple a, a couple of million hits on your site, was it worth it? No, you know. Val says, "Dude, you can't be piping your best friend's wife and not think some shit is going to happen, even if he's recording it." <laughs> Slick says, "If they crucify Hogan for dropping the N word, we shouldn't have presidential candidates." Val says, "I'm pretty sure Hillary and Trump drop M bombs with hard ers in each other's company." <laughs> You guys, you guys are on fire today. Um, like I said, it's crazy, but Hogan is getting paid. Obviously, he's not going to get that one forty since the company sold for one thirty five, but he's definitely going to get. He'll probably walk away with maybe fifty million or fifty to seventy five million dollars after it's all said and done. We'll see what happens. But man, what a victory for the Hulkster! Fucking insane. Anyway, last bit of wrestling news to wrap things up for this week. Uh, the Dusty Road Tag Team Classic, uh, the Dusty Roads Tag Team Classic semifinals were set after tonight's episode of NXT, which I didn't finish, but I figured I'd share it anyway, just because you know uh, you have to. TM Six One is going to face Sanity, and the Authors of Pain are going to face DIY. I kind of feel that TM Six One is going to lose to get Sanity over, and the Authors of Pain will be DIY and then Sanity. Will square off against the authors of pain. I think that they're, you know, the authors of pain. Their gimmick is generic as shit. But I kind of feel that even though D, I like DIY and I'm a fan of Gargano and Ciampa, I think those they're going to start really focusing more on those guys in the cruiserweight division. But I could be wrong. In any case, TM61 will be facing Sanity, and the authors of pain will be facing DIY. All right, that bit of wrestling news is going to wrap up this week's this week's wrestling segment um a couple of things just a reminder there will be no live episodes of my take radio next week we will be back on november 16th and 17th for the mma and wrestling show on the 16th and the gaming and entertainment show on the 17th then we will be off the following week for the thanksgiving holiday of course we will post an update on the site to remind you guys, but there will be no my take radio live next week. Nonetheless, I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling as always. I would love to hear yours. Feel free to hit us up on social media, on Twitter. You can find us at my take radio or at rage underscore works. If you're on Facebook, please join our rage works, Facebook group, interact with myself, slick quark, and the rest of the rage works crew as well as our viewers, readers, and listeners to talk MMA, wrestling, tech, gaming, pop culture, all kinds of stuff. Stop by, come for the rants, stay for the laughs. And as always, if you want to become a fan, join us, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. You can also find RageWorks on Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Google Plus as well. As always, Feel free to check RageWorks.net. You can find social media links there. And of course, the links will also be in our show notes for this episode. Last but not least, keep it locked to RageWorks.net this week for two episodes of My Take Radio, plus a brand new episode of the regular season sportscast. And of course, call me when it's over with Josie's boy. Plus, keep an eye out. Maybe we'll get an episode of Black is the New Black. Next week, even though we won't be on air for our live shows, be on the lookout for issue number three of the variant issue with myself and Jimbo Slice, as well as TRSS and any of our other shows. As always, if you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio or would like to advertise with us, feel free to check out the contact form on RageWorks.net or email me, rich at RageWorks.net, whichever works for you. All right, guys. Thank you for checking out the MMA and wrestling edition of My Take Radio. Join us later today, now that it is Thursday, for the gaming and entertainment edition, 11:30 p.m. Eastern, 8:30 p.m. Pacific, mtrlive.com. All right guys, thanks for tuning in. Peace.